and welcome to the first episode of the podcast Behind the Crime. In today's episode, I want to talk about a really interesting murder case. And this case is about Stephen McDaniel and Lauren Giddings. Lauren Giddings being the victim in this murder case. And as always in murder cases, the relationship between the murder and the victim is not that clear and we also have really interesting motives of Stephen McDaniel. But what really makes this crime so special and why do I talk about this today? Well, what really interested me when I first read about this murder is the mindset of the murderer. It is really shocking of what he says about the murder itself and on how he behaves. What is also really interesting about this murder case is the interrogation. And we will definitely analyze this in a psychological way later on in the podcast. But at first, let's go through the details of the case itself. This is the Behind the Crime podcast. The murderer is Stephen McDaniel. He was born in 1989, so today he's 34. He lived in Lilburn, Georgia at the time of the murder, and also at the time of the murder he was a student at the Mercer College of Law. So we will come to speak of the motives of the murder later on when we analyze the case. But at first, let's go through it. Lauren Giddings is the victim in this murder. At the time, she is 27 years old and also lives in Lilburn in Georgia. She is Stephen McDaniel's neighbor, and that also plays a role in this case. She graduated from Mercer College of Law, so she is at the same college as Stephen McDaniel was at that time. What's also important to know is that she felt watched before the murder case. She felt spied on and also when she was away, she felt like furniture was moved when she came back, but she didn't think anything of it. But of course, this had to do with the murder case. So now, how did the murder happen? On June 26, in 2011, so today, 12 years ago, Stephen McDaniel got into her apartment in the morning at about 4am. He had a master key of her apartment. He went into a room and watched her sleep for a while because it was 4am and she was asleep at that time. He then got closer to her and therefore caused a creak in the floor. This creak was enough to wake Lauren up. When she saw him, she yelled, get the f*** out. Stephen McDaniel then jumped onto her and strangled her to death. Lauren tried to defend herself, but she wasn't strong enough to do so. Until now, you might think that this is typical for such a murder case. And it really is. But what comes after is even more shocking. And this is the part where it gets weird. And in my opinion, 
The part after this murder especially is really interesting, but you will find out by yourself later on. So let's go on. He then grabbed her body and dragged her into the bathroom. He put her in the bathtub. Then he left the body there for one day and returned the next day with a hacksaw. He then dismembered her body in the bathtub and then packed her body parts into trash bags and threw them away in various trash cans around the area. So what happened after the crime? And as I told you, this is the interesting part. And the part where it also gets confusing because of the murderer's behavior. So let's look at the time after the murder. After the murder, Lauren's sister called her really often, but she never answered the phone. Her sister wasn't wondering about why she didn't answer the phone. Because before she said that she just wanted to study and she didn't want to get interrupted while doing that. But after she didn't answer the phone for a few days, her sister decided to go to her apartment. And then, when she knocked on the door, Lauren didn't open the door. That was concerning to her because it's unusual for people to not answer the door and also she knew that she had to be home because her car was in the driveway. When she knocked on the door a few times, her sister decided to go into her apartment nevertheless because she knew where Lauren had hidden her apartment key. When they went into her apartment, Lauren was nowhere to be found, but it still seemed as if Lauren was still living in there. So it was just like Lauren had just left. All her stuff was there, like books and everything else, and also a car, as I mentioned before. So then they got worried and called the police. They also found nothing and not even a small hint of her and not even a small hint of blood, for example. So, she was reported missing. But then the police sprayed Lumino in her apartment, and especially in the bathroom. And just a quick explanation of what Lumino is. Lumino is used to detect invisible stains of blood with UV light. So as soon as they sprayed it into her bathroom, the bathroom was lit up completely, as you can imagine when a body gets dismembered there. And then the police knew that she was killed, but her body was nowhere to be found. So they were no longer investigating in a missing person's case, but instead in homicide. And that quickly caused media to follow the case. The police began searching around the area. And then one detective spotted something or smelled something interesting. And one detective in an episode of Ice Cold Blood said, While we were standing there, the wind started to turn. Immediately, I smelled an odor that I was very familiar with. 
We all smell things in life that smell bad. And that of a body or a decomposing body is one of the worst things you'll smell. But it has a very distinctive smell. So basically they found the body in one of the trash cans uh, near the house in the plastic bag that Stephen McDaniel has put it. So it was just her torso and her head and all of the arms and legs were still missing and they hadn't found them yet. And when the media followed on or heard from that news, they started to interview neighbors of Lauren Giddings. And one of them was Stephen McDaniel. And now we're going to listen to his interview with the media about Lauren Giddings' murder. person that was living there? Yeah, Lauren was my neighbor. Um, we're just trying to find out where she is at this point. I mean, no one has seen her since Saturday. I mean, the last time anyone heard from her was an email that she sent out, and I mean, no one's heard from her since. Did you see her hang out with anyone at the time, anything like that? I mean, no, no, no one has seen her since Saturday. I haven't seen anything. I mean, you always hear noise outside, but it's just people walking by pretty much. And you, uh, she just recently graduated from Mercer? Yeah, she and I were, we were both JD students. Um, we graduated back in May. What kind of person was she? I mean, how did you, what did you see? I mean, she's as nice as can be. I mean, very personable, very much a people person. Do you know anybody that, any enemies you might have had, somebody that might want to hurt her? No, I mean, we're, we don't know where she is. I mean, the only thing we can think is that maybe she went out running and someone snatched her. Because, I mean, we went, at, we went over, one of her friends had a key. We went inside and tried to see if there was anything amiss. But, I mean, she had a door jam that was sitting right by it. So there was no sign that anyone broke in. I mean, the door was locked when everyone got here. I mean, we, we just don't know where she is. What about um, in the, like, the parking lot area? I know they've been doing a lot of, I think that's where they have recovered the body or whatever they recovered from there. One thing to add at this point is that Stephen McDaniel did not know yet that her body was found and recovered. He just assumed that he had murdered her and everybody would not and that nobody would find the body but they did and so now he is in shock and that you can see in his next reaction Howdy. had you heard any, had you seen anything there had you seen anything there I, I mean we don't know if this is the same person you know what I mean like they took out a body there earlier we don't know if it's the same person or not that's how we're trying to ask people if they know who lived there. Are you okay, sir? I, I think I need to sit down. Okay. Now, at this point of the interview, Stephen McDaniel is very speechless. He just stares at the interviewer and then walks off when he says he needs to sit down. And then he fell to the ground and he just sits there. And then the interview ends. 
So as you can see, he's very surprised that his crime was unveiled. Well, well, to this point of time, it is not known that he committed a crime. But you notice as soon as she mentioned that her body was found, he gets very unsure about his crime and and he knew that now he was basically caught. It was just about how fast the investigations were. So then he knew that it was over for him. Later on, Stephen McDaniel showed the police his apartment because as a neighbor of Lauren, he was a suspect to them. And they found that he had a master key for all of the apartments, including Lauren Giddings' apartment. This made him suspicious. When the police then later searched his apartment, they found a few, a few things that made him suspicious, including a hacksaw. And of course, they knew that Lauren's body was dismembered, so that made him more suspicious. And then they found hard drives with child pornography on them. And as they searched his flat further, they found Lauren Giddings' underwear, which they found out later on by testing the DNA on it. And they also found a bloody sheet, and that was actually Lauren's blood, as they also found out later on. But before he explained that he had broken into multiple flats to steal condoms and he only stole one, so that was true, but he only stole one of them out of each flat, which was really weird. This all led up to him being arrested. So now, what is behind this crime? Investigators found out that he always looked at pornography, which got worse and worse with violence. This may have led him to believe that it is normal to torture women like that. Some people also said that because of his obsession with pornography, he started hating women and that he therefore wanted to take revenge on them with his crime. Another detail that we cannot leave out here is that he was obsessed with Lauren and he, she rejected him a few days before because she already had a boyfriend. And then the police found really spooky stuff in his flat, which included that Stephen McDaniel spied on Lauren before her murder with a camera mounted on a stick and he basically lifted it up to her window and that's why she felt spied on but as I told you before she didn't think anything of it. So all of this leads up to his decision to killing Lauren and now we will listen to certain parts of his interrogation to maybe understand him better. And I also want to include this because it's a very interesting interrogation because he's very silent and if you could see it, he just stares at the officer with this empty stare and that's really creepy. 
And as soon as I saw it, I thought that this is a special interrogation because usually the suspects cooperate with the police to not seem suspicious anymore. But with Steven, it was completely different. And we will now listen to that in the following part of the podcast. Now I will summarize what happened in the interrogation of Stephen McDaniel. They interrogated Stephen McDaniel as Lauren's neighbor. They also interviewed Lauren's friend David Wittmeyer and also Lauren's boyfriend David Van Diver. There are two interrogations of Stephen McDaniel. One before his TV interview and one after. At first he clarifies that he was home all weekend by himself and that he basically has no alibi. Then he is being asked if his apartment can be searched as every other of Lauren's neighbors is asked. Stephen McDaniel is the only one declining this. As a reason, he states that he owns multiple firearms. But it is not weird that he declines this house search since he is also a law student, which makes him conscious of his rights. But what is weird is that he doesn't have legal representation in the interview. Then the officer notices a scar in his face, which of course is from Lauren trying to fight him. After some time had passed by, the officer had convinced him to searching Stephen, Stephen's apartment. I already mentioned what they had found there. This is also because Stephen is always around the area where they are searching for evidence and possible suspects. This is mainly because the killer is interested in the attention his case gets and he also wants to see what the newest finds in the, in in the investigations are. Now in the second interview, Stephen McDaniel seems a lot more uncooperative compared to the first one. Since in the first one he talked fluidly with the officer, but in this one he seems as if, as if he pretends to be a psychopath, because he always stares at the officer and answers questions as briefly as he can, mostly with yes, no or I don't know. This could be because now he is interviewed as a possible suspect. At this point of the interview, the detective wants to break Stephen by getting closer to him and also lifting up the picture of Lauren during the interview. He uses this to bring attention to him and basically let him look at the victim of his crime straight in the eyes at all time. Stephen McDaniel at that point is becoming more suspicious to the officer since they unveiled a lie that Stephen only owns one car, whereas anybody else who knows Stephen tells the police 
that he clearly owns more than one car. This is important because there is security footage outside of the apartment where Lauren lived in and the police suspects that at one moment you can see the murderer of Lauren on that tape. But there is a pickup truck out front which the killer apparently drives. So they try to find out if this is Stephen McDaniel's car. As this leads nowhere, the officer confronts him with the suspect's behavior. The detective asks him questions like if he is scared, but he answers no. Since this is also leading nowhere, the detective speaks way more aggressive with Stephen McDaniel. He confronts him directly with aggressive words and gestures, putting pressure on the suspect. Of course, this is not a professional behavior. I personally think that it is just the detective letting out his frustration about Stephen's answers on Stephen McDaniel himself. After about 30 minutes of his interrogation, another detective enters the room and the other one leaves to remove all of his aggressive dynamic he put onto Stephen McDaniel in the last few minutes. This detective at first sits on the other side of the table, so basically distant from Stephen McDaniel, but eventually gets closer to Stephen as he starts to talk about Lauren. He therefore also tries to invade Stephen McDaniel's personal space by doing this. Also, it seems as if this detective has a more efficient way of questioning the suspect by asking him questions he cannot answer with yes or no. Then later on, the detective who first questioned Stephen McDaniel comes in again to, to join this new investigator. They probably want to put more stress on the suspect in order to get him speaking. They again mention the car. And they also bring up that even Stephen McDaniel's grandfather has told the police that Stephen owns several cars. He always declines the statement, no matter how much pressure the police officers put on the suspect. Then the second detective tries to ask Stephen McDaniel if he ever wanted to go out with her. This led them to a potential motive for this case. Because as they find out, Stephen has asked Lauren out for a date a few times before. Moments after police had found this out, they try again to ask him about the blood found in Stephen McDaniel's bathroom. And now he doesn't completely decline that he had something to do with the disappearance of Lauren. Because he now says he doesn't know. When the detectives then change again, Stephen McDaniel is asked about the marks on his body. To which Stephen gives a detailed response. Compared to the other responses like yes, no or I don't know he gave before, he says that he maybe scratched himself while sleeping, a rather detailed answer. 
The second detective then again changes with the first one. This detective then confronts Stephen McDaniel that he is probably lying and again holds the picture of Lauren close to his face. Now we will listen into a short excerpt of the interrogation in which the detective confronts him with a possible motive and possible evidence that he was the one who murdered Lauren. Over everything. Where's that little girl, Stephen? I don't know. Stephen, you know. Where? I don't know. Stephen. You're gonna look at this right here, this little girl right here. And you're gonna say you don't know? I know you know. I don't know. Yes, you know. What are you gonna say tomorrow when I say we got your hair with the body? What are you gonna say to me then? Cause you know, like I go like that. Look at my hair. That's how easy it falls out. Look at all that on your head. You don't think nothing fell out? It did. It did, Stephen. We just wanted to give you an opportunity to tell it. So you didn't look like a monster at the end. Because you know what? I don't believe that you're a monster, Stephen. I believe that you're a good guy. You've been picked on. Girls didn't show you the respect that you deserved. You did something stupid. And I believe you feel bad about it. And that's why you're all freaked out right now. But I'm giving you the opportunity to get right. I'm giving you an opportunity to show everybody you're not a monster. That you feel bad about what happened. Your hair's there, man. Your hair is there. We got your hair with the body. How's that, Stephen? I don't know. Yes, you do know. Yes, you do know, Stephen. As you can see, the detective blames his possible crime on girls rejecting Stephen McDaniel which would make it easier for the suspect to confess. The detective tries confronting the suspect with his crime over and over again, but he doesn't show a sign of confession. Then, after an even longer interrogation, Stephen had still not confessed his crime. But then, later, he had been arrested because he was a suspect in this crime and they thought that he was guilty. This is also because some people like Stephen's former roommate told the police that he had been told to how Stephen would commit his perfect crime multiple times years before he had murdered Lauren. After the arrest of Stephen he again was questioned but remained completely silent. Then he wanted legal representation. To avoid the death penalty, Stephen agreed to a plea deal where he had to exactly describe how he murdered Lauren, which I have already told you at the beginning. Therefore he has now been sentenced to life in prison. He also stated 
that he doesn't know why he killed Lauren himself and that he also knew that it was wrong and that he in fact had morals. Also he said that it goes beyond his reach why he killed Lauren. Before I end this episode here, I quickly want to summarize this crime. I think this crime is especially gruesome because Stephen McDaniel apparently had no reason to kill Lauren. And from what I read when researching this murder case was that this was a spontaneous decision to kill Lauren because he only wanted to watch her. Also, there was this problem that Lauren would have moved away in a few days after the murder, which meant that their friendship, so to say, wasn't going to last any longer. So when he wanted to commit this crime, he had to do it in these days. Also, he missed a class after the murder, uh, which a friend of Stephen McDaniel told the police because Stephen McDaniel was known to never miss a class for any reason. So this is another tip that the police got when interrogating different people. Also, as they found out later on, Stephen McDaniel had posted several statements on several websites where he said that he had no problem with cannibalism if it was the only way to survive. And I think that is that makes the whole person seem a lot worse than he already is. Nevertheless, I have to add that in many interrogations, the friends of Stephen McDaniel said that he was a very nice guy and even offered Lauren a weapon to defend herself because she told Stephen that she was pretty anxious about getting, yeah, watched or attacked so he was seemingly a very generous guy this is the end of the first episode of the podcast behind the crime if you enjoyed it make sure to also join me next time when i will uncover what's behind the crime until next time Goodbye.